Right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really nice to be here again. Uh, I've, it's been a while, but so some of you look familiar, and, and maybe none of you have seen me before. Um, <laughs> but it's a really nice building, at least. It wasn't like this when I was here last. Um, if we want to open our Bibles to Revelation chapter two. And I'm reading from verse 8, Revelation chapter 2, to the church in Smyrna, starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let me pray that we would have ears to hear. Uh, what the Spirit says. Uh, Father, thank you for your word and um, it's not a small thing to, to open it um, and to read it. It's not a small thing to consider it. Um, your word is an eternal word, an always relevant word. And so I pray that we would have ears to hear it right now. Um, please remove the obstacles in our way, um, the thoughts in our way. Um, all those things that entangle us, the sin in our lives, we confess it and we want to hear uh, what you have to say. Um, so open our hearts now. Amen. Uh, so this, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Revelation. This is the start of Revelation. There's seven letters written to seven real churches. Uh, and this is the second letter. This is the second one, the first one to Ephesus. And now we're looking at the letter uh, to Smyrna. This is a letter that, that Jesus revealed to the Apostle John, who would then pass it to someone who was going to take these letters to the churches. So these are seven real letters written to seven real churches over you know, like 2,000 years ago. And so we might pause for a second and go, well, what relevance could that possibly have to us? You know, these, are, these are churches 2,000 years ago. Haven't we progressed? And the reality is um, we may have iPhones and iPads and Justin Bieber and yeah. One Direction, but we haven't really changed much. Uh, that the questions of humanity are perpetual. And the relevance of God is a perpetual relevance. And so I hope we'll find that as we, as we study it. Um, Katie Hudson was raised by parents who were co-pastors in California, Southern California. Um, she was brought up in the church and the Christian sort of gospel subculture came to know her when she released an album, a self-titled album, and when she was 16. And in that album she had a song that was called Faith Won't Fail. And in the song, it went on to describe how, come what may, my faith won't fail, um, temptations, tribulations, success, weakness, um, slant, all those kinds of things, whatever, my faith won't fail. I'll read you a few of the lyrics. It said, you could throw me in the fire and I won't be burned. My faith is your desire and your love endures. 
You could throw me in the prison cell, shackle me up against the rail, but time and time again, my faith won't fail. And the chorus goes like this, it says, For he'll prevail in the midst of all my trials and tribulations, and he'll prevail in the midst of all my sin and temptations. He'll prevail when I fall, and he will pick me up for time and time again, my faith won't fail. So you get the picture, hey, her faith won't fail. Right? Whatever comes. She's very confident. This, this, this statement uh, you know, of unending faithfulness to God. I don't know if you, some of you might know the story, but um, we all come to know, well, I don't know if you know, <laughs> Katie Hudson becomes a worldwide superstar except she changes her name to Katie Perry and she releases a song called um, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, which I can relate to. Because I love kissing my wife, right? <laughs> I still love kissing my wife. But, of course, it means something different when she says it. Um, it I, and the point's not to hack on Katy Perry. I think the best thing we can do is pray for her. Um, but the reality is, only a, five years earlier, she was singing, My Faith Won't Fail. Uh, and there, there was an interview with her in Entertainment Weekly, and she said, I'm not exactly the poster child for anything religious. And I'm definitely not what I grew up in. And after seeing some of the world, my brain has a little bit of a question mark about what I believe. I'm still searching. So you see the, the, the change in just a few years. Undying devotion, whatever comes, my faith won't fail to. I'm questioning the whole thing. Um, I grew up in a youth group of 50 to 60 of us and it was, you know, we were in a fairly small church, we were all similar church to this, maybe a tiny bit bigger, 50 to 60 youth. It was, you know, we were all on fire for Jesus. We were having youth camps. We were doing all those things. And the reality is, what happened was, in two years' time, what was 50 to 60 turned into five or six, literally. Now, some had gone to other churches, but the vast majority had left the church, had left the faith, and today have not returned. And we were pledging all kinds of things at youth camps and Bible studies. Um, I have four kids, and I think one of the things I pray almost more than anything else is that, that their faith would fail, that they would be faithful to Jesus. I mean, it's easy to start well especially growing up in a Christian home, but, man, I don't want it to be a statistic. of, of Another statistic of a pastor's child who walks away from the Lord. And so I pray continually that this, that won't be their story. So in contrast to so many believers who start really well and make unbelievable claims about faithfulness, um, who don't continue in it, Jesus comes to the church at Smyrna and he says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. And right now you could, you know, well, that took a turn. Now we're talking about death. You know, you started well. We're talking about Katy Perry. It was going well. And we're talking about death. What's the deal with that? Um, You know, can we talk about something more uplifting, something more exciting, you know, something, you know, more encouraging? Uh, The reality is that we will all die, hasn't it? But secondly, I, I, my point is not to even really talk about death. My, what, what this passage is going to put to us is incredibly relevant to all of us, whether we're young and we're not thinking about death, or, or we all before us have the, mo- the gap between this moment and the moment we do die. And that's, the, that's what I want to talk about. How are we going to spend the gap between you know, this morning and the day that we die or Jesus returns? 
Will we be faithful in that time or will we be faithless? Um, And that's what the church in Smyrna is facing. The church in Smyrna, let me give you some background, was population about 250,000, which made it a fairly substantial city in the ancient world. Uh, It was a beautiful city, easily defended, sitting on a harbour. It was um, A lot of trade would come into this harbour, so it was a really affluent city, well off. And what they decided to do with all of their affluence and all their, their riches from trade was to make a beautiful city. So the city became known as the Glory of Asia. It's quite a title, isn't it? Melbourne's the you know, most livable city in the world. The glory of Asia. Uh, and they spent their money, their beautiful amphitheatres, unbelievable temples, um, museums, uh, world-famous library. Um, the, the symbol of the town was actually a golden crown. So beauty and power and, and all this. This is, this is Smyrna. Smyrna is very well off and very beautiful, really well known for its town planning and architecture. So if you get the picture, it's, it's, a, it's an affluent city. But then in unbelievable contrast to the, the city of Smyrna, we're introduced to the church in Smyrna. And it's, an, it's a very different picture, isn't it? Because in verse uh, verse. Nine, it says they lived in poverty. So this is, this is an oppressed minority. Uh, they're surrounded by all this wealth and all this affluence and all this you know, beauty and, and every day it serves as a reminder that this, that's not them. That the, the church is very, very different to the culture all around them. In Smyrna it was easy to spot the Christian. Now that's not so much these days, is it? It's not so easy to spot the Christian. Often our lives look so similar and really indistinguishable. Uh, but not the case in Smyrna. And as they, as they thought and they, and they lifted their gaze upon the, out of their present situation of poverty and they hoped for better, um, in the reality what we find out in this passage is things are only going to get worse for the church in Smyrna. And so that's their situation. Um, So how are they going to respond to this test? Because that's what it is, it's a test. Verse 10 says, These things are happening that you may be tested. See, it's it's unbelievably important, isn't it, how a Christian responds to oppression, isn't it, or or suffering of any kind. Uh, Because the sceptic is always watching and always always wondering, you know, (coughs) sees the megachurch pastor with the the $3 million house and the the BMW and looks at that and says, I can see sort of why you want to follow Jesus. I, I cannot, it, serving Jesus is pretty lucrative. Uh, you know, it, it pays off. I can, I can sort of understand why you're going for that. Um, now, whether that's fair or not is a different point. Uh, but, but that's a reality. Uh, so I'd want to introduce you to, to, to Smyrna. Because you, you can say that about Smyrna. Uh, in fact, you can't say Christianity is lucrative for the vast majority of Christians in the world today. And not long ago in Pakistan, you know, Suicide bombers walk into a church service and blow up 61 die. They're just turning up to church. I mean, this, the, Christianity is a lot bigger and a lot older um, than megachurch pastors today. You know, that's what I would say to this guy. That, that, that you need to account for that. Uh, and so we're in Smyrna today. Because um, <clears throat> I think if, even if you're sceptical of Christianity, and I don't know, most of you, some, some of you maybe are, um, you're not a believer you're in here this morning, I think you would agree with me and you'd agree with the Bible. The question is not, do you love Jesus when everything's going really, really, really well? 
question is, is he still God and is he still good when things go bad? When cancer takes over the body, when you lose your house, when you lose the car, when you lose a child. I mean, is he still God then? And that's the question Job had, isn't it? Because God was blessing Job in every way. Wealth, health, family, everything going really well. So Satan comes along, he's an accuser, and he says, well, of course he loves you, you give him everything. Take it away from him and he'll curse you. And if you know the story, that's exactly what happens. He takes away his wealth, takes away his health, takes away his family. And what does Job do? He falls on his knees in utter desperation and cries out to the Lord. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He stood the test, didn't he? And that's what, that's what t- trials, that's what they do. They're like a, a litmus test, aren't they? They're like, do you love Jesus for Jesus or do you love him for the stuff he can give you? That's what, that's what trials do, isn't it? They take away the things that, that, that might be distracting us. It's an appraisal. Are we truly in love with Jesus or just what we can get from him? Um, and I don't know, you know, we're probably not, we're not enduring what Smyrna was enduring, but we do have stuff. As a community, as individuals, we do have our own trials and, and, and that's the question that, that, that they bring to us. Because uh, if we respond in just the same way as everyone else, then I think the, the unbeliever or the sceptic has every right to question the reality of Christ in us. You know, are we, do you really have something to offer if we just respond in the same way that anyone else would? Um, so let's get into this, this short letter um, to Smyrna. We're going to ask basically three questions of the text. The first question is, what is the suffering they're enduring? Secondly, where is God in their trials? And by implication, where is he in our trials? And thirdly, um, how are we called to respond? How we respond to this? So question number one, what is the suffering they're enduring? Uh, verse nine gives us some details. It says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan... Synagogue, so that's, that's hardcore. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but they're, they're suffering tribulation. Well, that's, that's broad and that's vague. So what does their tribulation look like? Well, we've talked about the first thing is poverty. Uh, they, the, the Christians didn't share the wealth in Smyrna, probably because they were Christians, that they were bypassed for economic, economic opportunities because they were believers. Um, and again, I, like, I often hear the unbeliever and I get to do a lot of evangelism in schools and I hear this quite often is Christianity is just a crutch. It's just a crutch. You, 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 you've made it up or you believe it because it helps you get through stuff. Well, that doesn't make any sense if Christianity is the reason you need a crutch. You know what I'm saying? Like in Smyrna... If it's a crutch they want, then just give away the Jesus thing. Worship the emperor like everybody else if it's a crutch. But in Smyrna, it wasn't just a crutch. It's the reason they're suffering. Um, but, but they couldn't give it up because it's not just a crutch. It's, the question is, is it's true? And of course, they must have believed it was true. Otherwise, they would have given it up. Unless there is forgiveness of sins. Unless there really is a God. Unless, unless he really did die and he really did rise again. Uh, then, well then you couldn't give it up and it would be foolish to give it up. Um, they probably would have laughed. They probably wouldn't have laughed. They probably would have cried at the modern prosperity gospel. 
that would be hard to sell in Smyrna. Come to Jesus and you'll get rich and you'll be healthy and he'll have favour and blessing and everything will go really, really well. Really? Because it's only gone bad for us here in Smyrna. But we still love him and we're assuming he still loves us. Um, and so Jesus adds really quickly after, I just love what he adds in after, you know, you're in poverty, but you are rich. But you are rich. See, there's two different perspectives going on, isn't there? There's a horizontal perspective which looks at their, looks at their suffering and, and, and it's not aware of this vertical perspective. This horizontal perspective looks at them and says, yes, poverty, poverty, that's what you're in. But then that's not the only perspective. There's a vertical perspective. It's God's perspective. And he says, you are rich. Because we know, we know that true riches is not in wealth. And the world knows that. The world knows that. And every now and then Hollywood gets a, you know, brings out a movie like, I don't know if you've seen Click or you know, um, uh, The Christmas Tale. You know, it's like Scrooge. And, you know, wealth is not just money and business. And you know, it, it sort of tries to grapple with that. Um, in a few letters' time, Jesus is going to approach the church in Laodicea. And they have exactly the opposite problem of Smyrna. It's, Jesus is going to say to the church in Laodicea, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I mean, what a shocking fright it would be, isn't it? Think, oh, I'm so rich, I don't need it. I mean, could you describe Melbourne any better than that? I'm rich, I don't, I'm not in need of anything else. Well, in fact, you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor and you're in poverty. And that's, the, that's Jesus telling the story of the rich fool, isn't it? Just build up bigger barns and bigger barns and then, and then Jesus comes and he says, you know, or, and he says to himself, you know, soul, eat, drink and be merry. You know, you've done your, you've done your work and Jesus turns up and says, fool, uh, who's going to... Now, tonight your life is demanded. Who's going who's to have your money? Um, it would be a shocking fright to think you are so rich and in fact you are unbelievably poor. So that's, that's, that's the first thing. They're poor. How else are they suffering? Well, it's slander as well. It says, The slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So this is verbal persecution. This is slander. Maybe this is a bit closer to what we suffer, isn't it? The old sticks and stones don't break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have there been a more ridiculous combination of words in history? <laughs> words don't hurt, really? Because long after our bruises heal and our, and our cuts heal... We remember words. Words are unbelievably damaging. Uh, and these Christians are slandered by those who, Jesus says, who say they are Jews. Who say they're Jews. That they may be Jews ethnically. But Jesus is saying, but they're not the true people of God. Jews is just shorthand for the people of God. And the reality is, to be a true person of God is a matter of the heart. That's what Romans chapter 2 tells us. It's, a, it's an inward thing. It's not an outward thing. It's not something you're born into. It's, it's circumcision of the heart now in the new covenant under Jesus. And they show, these Jews show, that they're not the true people of God because they have a bad heart. They're not loving Christians. They're, they're, they're slandering them. In, in, the, in those days, to, in the Roman Empire, it was okay to be a Jew because they were exempt from having to sacrifice to the emperor. They were given exemption for that. But the Christians weren't. And so what the Jews would do is slander them, would accuse them, 
and bring persecution on them because they weren't you know, offering sacrifices to the emperor. And so Jesus comes along and says, it's, you're, you are a synagogue of Satan. I mean, that sounds harsh, but they're acting like Satan acts, isn't he? What's Satan? He's the father of lies. He's an accuser. And what they're doing is accusing the Christians. And they're showing that they're doing the work of Satan, not the work of Christ. And when they gather together and they think they're, they're gathering as the people of God, what they're really gathering together as is a synagogue of Satan. That's what that's Jesus' words, not my words. I wouldn't be game enough to say that. But um, that's, that's what Jesus says. So he flips it back on them, doesn't he? He says, you, you are accusing. Well, let me, let me accuse you for a second. And so that's the second thing is slander. There's poverty, there's slander. Thirdly, there's prison. Uh, verse 10b. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for ten days you'll have tribulation. And so the letter sort of moves, doesn't it? It moves to the future and it says that's what you're suffering now is, is poverty and slander but let's look to the future. What's in, what's in store? Well, prison. And then he keeps going and he says, but 10c, be faithful unto death. So now we've got prison, we've got death. This is, welcome to Smyrna. Who wants to be a Christian? <laughs> we've got poverty. Come and have some poverty and some tribulation and some, yeah, <laughs> some slander um, and, and prison and maybe even death. Yeah, that's, that's not very advertising to Christianity. But I think it's real. I mean, if you're not a believer in here, at least I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. <laughs> and Jesus isn't either. He's saying this is reality. Sometimes being a Christian costs, uh, but that's only half the story. There's, a, there's, a, there's more to it. And let's get into that. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? Three things in this passage we see. He is king, he is close, and he is coming. First of all, he's king. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. Isn't that awesome? See who's talking to him? And don't just say Jesus at Sunday school. <laughs> Jesus presents himself in a special way to this people, in a specific way to their specific situation. And he says to, to those who are suffering and are on the precipice of even more and more suffering, he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. I've gone before you and I come behind you. To those who may be about to face their mortality, to may be about to die, he says, well, I'm the one who died and I rose again to life. Isn't it so awesome how Jesus comes to us in different ways, in different situations, and he's exactly what we need at, every, at any moment? Um, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, dynasties come, dynasties go. Rich people rise, rich people fall. He has seen them come, he has seen them go. He is the first and he is the last. He has seen people slander the church of God and he has seen them go. The church continues. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is not intimidated by that. He sits on a throne. I love the picture in Daniel chapter 7 and it gets real apocalyptic and real. And I like sci-fi so it gets, you know, it gets me going. And what you have is these beasts sort of coming out of the water and, and, and it's all turbulent and these are the different kingdoms who are coming against the people of God and just turmoil and, and disaster and chaos. And then it shifts in, in Daniel chapter 7 to the heavenly throne and there's Christ, the ancient of days sitting on a throne not hurrying about 
not, not confused about the situation. He, he sits, he rules and he reigns. He is king. And, and that's what the Smyrna needed to hear. Hey, um, you imagine how they feel, downtrodden, suppressed, a minority, weak. Jesus is none of those. Jesus is none of those for them. I mean, when you're suffering, um, what you don't need is a wimpy God. Hey? You need a big God, a sovereign God, one who is first and who is last and who has died and who has risen again. I mean, that's what we need. So, but he's not just king. He's also close. That's the second thing. In verse 9 it starts, he says, I know your tribulation. I know it. What does he mean by I know your tribulation? Well, he means he's not ignorant. He's not, he's, not, he's not just not watching. He hasn't just made the world and stood back and is unaware. But of course he doesn't just know by observation our Jesus. He knows by experience, doesn't he? Poverty, he who was rich became poor. Slander, yeah, by nearly everyone. And they, the crowds called for him to be crucified. Um, death, yes, on a cross. Those innocent. Does he know? Does he know? Yeah, he knows. Not just observation, experience. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith that there is no other religion in the world that can say, could say that. Um, um, I don't know, you know if you're suffering, but we need both of these things, don't we? We need King and we need him to be close. It wouldn't be enough to have one or the other, hey? Like if he was, if he was just King... He was sovereign, but he had no care. Like it was similar to that letter that you were reading out. That, that, that combination. That he's not just, you know, is he powerful, but he doesn't care? No. Or, or you don't want him to be just caring, but he can't do anything about it either, do you? Like it's, you don't just want hugs, but he can't do anything about it. We need a God who is both sovereign and ruling and a king who is in control and is sitting on a throne and we need him to be close and near to us and that's what he is. He is a king and he is close. And he is also... Uh, oh, let me, I just want to tell a story about this. I was, I was in Sydney a couple of months ago and I caught a taxi and we're going, we're, going, we're going to go to the airport, right? And I caught a taxi and it was this um, cool old Italian dude. And, we're, and his name was Claude, right? And it was, it was great. We were having a great conversation. And I said, you know, I said to him, it was pretty early in the morning, I said, how's your day been? And he said, um, no good. And I was like, oh man, it's like early in the day and you're already saying it's no good. What, what, what happened? Um, and he said, I was ba- he was on his way to a really you know, lucrative job. He was going to be driving all day for this one job and was going to, you know, probably going to make a lot of money. He was 100 metres from picking the person up in a tyre blue. And he was like... Man, I just totally missed out. And I was like, oh man. And he said, someone up there must be punishing me. And so, for me, that's just like red rags to a bull. <laughs> I said, is that how he works, is it? He said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really religious. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm more of, I'm a hypocrite, man. Like, if I went into a church, the whole building would fall down. Has anyone ever heard that before? Like, every time you invite a believe the place won't fall down, man. It's okay. Um, and so I said, well, three things, Claude. Um, one, 
I don't think you're a hypocrite because hypocrites don't usually say they're hypocrites by definition. Secondly, I'm planning a church in in Ringwood and we're meeting in a pub. So I said, our our church wouldn't fall in on your head. (laughs) And thirdly, um, let me tell you a story that Jesus told. Um, Jesus told a story about a, a hypocrite, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they went up to the temple to pray. And Jesus paints the scene. And the Pharisee began to pray and he began to talk about all the things he'd done for the Lord that week. And how he tired. You know, Pharisee, and I said to him, you know, called, like the, the Pharisees, they're the religious people. They, they did everything right. They're the moral people. And they had all these laws and they kept them. And then they just kept adding more and more laws and they kept them. Like they were very well behaved people. And he sort of stood there and he prayed to God and he just said, you know, I, I, I've done this and this and this and he noticed this tax collector whom everyone hated by the way. He was a, you know, treason against the people, you know, the Jewish people. He was, he stole from people. He was a thief. He was dishonest. Like, no one liked him. And everyone assumed God didn't like him either. And I said, you know, and, and the Pharisee's praying all these things and he sees the tax collector he's like, oh and I think I'm not like that guy. And then Jesus switches the scene and he goes to the, the, the tax collector and the tax collector begins to pray. And what does he pray? Well, he, I mean, he's the one that everyone hates and he's the one who's been an unbelievable sinner. And, and what does he pray? He, says, he, just, he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He, he, he beats his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I said, you know, Jesus says, he's the one who goes home justified that day before God. It's not the one you expect. It's not the guy who says, I've behaved really well It's the one, and I don't need a saviour. It's the one who says, I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. And I said, I'll be honest, you remind me of the tax collector, not the Pharisee, because you just admitted you're a sinner. You just admitted that you're a hypocrite. You, you remind me of that guy. And if you would come to him, he will receive you. Um, and he was like, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> He's like, I should go to church. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you should go to church. I didn't say it like that. I said, <laughs> it's like, yeah, go to church, man. This is the gospel of grace. And it, it struck me that people just have such a perverse view of God. Oh, someone's up there punishing me. Was God punishing him? Was God punishing him when he gave him a flat tyre and he ended up with us and I could tell him news about the gospel which could save his eternal soul, the punishing, that he, that he missed out on a lucrative job which could save, you know, could make him money for a, a temporary moment, but then I could tell him a message which would give him riches even if he was living in poverty. It's not, he, is, he is king, but he is close. He loves, he's, he's not there manipulating things to just hurt him. Um, but he's also coming. He's king, he's close, he's coming. Uh, verse 10 says, Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I love that. Be faithful unto death and here's the goal, here's the end. I mean, that's the essence of every good story, isn't it? Faithfulness overcoming obstacles and then the prize at the end. That's, that's the essence of every good story. We don't like those stories where it's ease and trouble free and it's no worries, smooth sailing and then, whoa, prizes. They didn't do anything, it was prizes. That's, I think that's why our culture in general loves watching 
you know, the, the destruction of lives like Miley Cyrus and, and famous people who we don't like that kind of, oh, everything's been so easy for them. Um, if, if the, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, so this may be lost on a lot of you. If you haven't seen it, repent and go and see it. But, uh, <laughs> um, in, in Lord of the Rings, it wouldn't have been as popular if Sam and Frodo who had the ring that they needed to destroy. And, and Mordor, you know, Mount Doom was just around the corner and they just sort of went, oh, we need to destroy it. And they walked around the corner, skipping along, popped it in the volcano and then whistled all the way home. Yeah, but that wouldn't be a trilogy and that wouldn't be popular. What do we want? We want obstacles. We want faithfulness, faithfulness, risk-taking, adventure and they're overcoming and they're overcoming. That's what we want, isn't it? That's the story. Why do we want something different for our Christian life? This is the essence of every good story. At the end of the second movie, there's this awesome scene where, where Frodo says to Sam, he said, I can't do this. I mean, they've been, so, been through so much. He says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam tells him, says this. He says, it's like in, in the great stories, Mr Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it is only a passing thing, a shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come and when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances at turning back, but they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And Frodo says, what are we holding on to? He says, that there is some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. I think that's, that's the essence of this passage. Be faithful unto death. That this, this darkness, it's a passing thing. You know, it, it lasts for ten days. Ten days, he says. I, mean, I don't think it's ten days literally. I think it's, you know, it's a designated time. That's, this shows the sovereignty of God. That's, that's how he's king as well, isn't it? It's that he can say, this is when the suffering starts and this is when it will end. It's ten days, figurative of a, a certain amount of time. That it's a passing thing. And if we would just be faithful for our ten days on earth, we will get the crown. And the, the, good, the good bits of the story, what makes it a good story is that they, st- they had opportunities to turn back, but they kept going. And that's what um, Jesus is calling the, the Smyrna people to do. Um, verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. See, there's two outcomes, isn't there? There's the crown where the second death holds no fear. Um, but to those who do not remain faithful, to those who fall away, the second death they ought to, contains much fear. So what's our response? That's our third question. We're nearly done. Our response, he tells us to do two things. Do not fear and be faithful. Do not fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer, it says. That makes no sense to our culture, does it? Do not fear. Do not fear. If you're just living on the horizontal plane, that's all you have to fear. Death, poverty, stress, slander. 
That is the sum of all fears, isn't it? Because this is all there is. But if there's more, when a Christian has been freed from fearing these things, and Jesus has conquered these things, he's a king, he's close. Um, and the believer doesn't have to fear it. That's why Paul could say such unbelievable things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a crazy statement. And he says um, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So do not fear, but be faithful. Be faithful. Between us here now and the crown, today and our crown, is faithfulness. That's the call. Um, I love that he asks us just to be faithful. The call is not be successful unto death. Be rich unto death. Be famous unto death. Um, have, have, be well behaved unto death. It's be faithful. Just be faithful. I mean, sometimes the Christian life is just hard. Sometimes it's a, it's a plodding struggle. He says, just be faithful. If you would just be faithful unto death. Um, uh, the story, uh, one of my favourite historical Christians is, um, you know, I wanted to name one of our children after him, but my wife didn't, well, she wasn't keen on it. His name's Polycarp. And <laughs> uh, Polycarp, I always thought you could shorten it to Polly or something, but, but that's a boy's name and that sounds feminine. Anyway, um, <laughs> getting off track. Polycarp, right? I don't know if some of you have heard of Polycarp, the great martyr. Um, he, he was actually alive at the time that this letter comes to Smyrna. Uh, he was probably in the congregation when this letter get, gets written out, gets read out. And in a few years' time, they re, after this, after this letter's read out, he becomes the bishop of Smyrna. Uh, and he lives a long life of faithful service to the Lord. I mean, he was a hardcore guy and he spoke pretty straight. At one stage he was introduced... Uh, there was a heretic going around called Marcion and Marcion turned up and said to, to Polycarp when he said, um, do you recognise me? And Polycarp said, replied to him, I do indeed, I recognise the firstborn of Satan. So he's a, he's a straight shooter, right? He's a straight shooter. Um, but anyway, he's 86 years old, he's finally arrested and he's brought before a massive crowd, huge crowd, and they're all baying for his blood. And they're saying, down with the atheist, down with the atheist. And which is, which is weird to us. The Christians in those days were called atheists because they didn't have statues and idols that they actually bowed down to. Um, and the pro-council tried to persuade him, saying, have respect for your old age, Polycarp. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists himself. And what does he do? Instead, he looks at all the crowd and he gestures toward them and he says, down with the atheists. So the pro-council tries again. Um, and he says, Swear, Polycarp, reproach Christ and I will set you free. Polycarp answered, Eighty-six years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? So then they threatened him with wild animals and that didn't work. So then they threatened him with fire. and They said, we will burn you to death. And he replied, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. So they prepare the fire 
and they go to, to nail him to a pole in the middle of the fire and he says, don't bother, don't bother, I'll just stand here, I'm not going anywhere. And he died. There was no like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego moment where he's like, who's the other guy in the fight? No, he died. Burned to death. There was no immediate salvation, but there was a crown. There was a crown for him. He was faithful unto death. And I go, oh man, how did he do it? How do you stay faithful like that? And I like to think that in that moment, he, he thought back about 40 odd years, 60 odd years, to a letter that they received from Jesus himself who said, if you would be faithful unto death, you will, you will get eternal life. That I'm the king. That I'm the first and I'm the last. And I have died and I have risen again. And this trial is just for a time. If you would be faithful through it, you will receive a crown of life. I, I like to think that he thought of that and it sustained him in that moment. Jesus' words to him are the same words to us today. If we would be faithful unto death, if we would be faithful to the end, we would receive a crown. I mean, many don't make it. Many don't. Um, and I'm praying that you know, passages like this help us to, to stay. Uh, if you're not a believer, I would just say in, in closing, I've, ta- I've talked about Christianity being tested. I say, let's test all the gods. Test them all. Whatever we're worshipping, it doesn't have to be like, it can be money, it can be sport, it can be, you know, we, we can worship anything. We'll make an idol of anything. We'll let them all be tested and let's see what stands. I was staying with a couple of friends in, in, um, in, in New South Wales and he had his unbelievably successful um, racing car career, uh, had an unbelievably bad accident, spent a month in a coma and during that time his wife became a Christian and then went out of... And so they were all, you know, I don't know, in their 40s, becomes a Christian, never been in church, never, you know, she becomes a Christian, he comes out of a coma, he ends up a Christian. And we were talking to him and they were like, oh, we're so thankful for that accident. <laughs> Bizarre thing to say. Having an, he was the Australian Speedway champion. He just got robbed of his career. I said, wow, what, what do you mean you're thankful for it? Well, we never would have realised our need of a saviour. We were so busy winning races and travelling all over the world, but God had to come and test our gods. God came and said, well, let's see if it's it. I'll take it from you. Does it give you eternal? Does it, can it save you from your sin? No, it can't. And so they're super thankful for the thing which robbed them of their, their idol, for the testing of their idols. I would say test it and you will see that God is, God is very good. Um, if you're a Christian here, let's, as, it's a community project, I reckon, faithfulness unto death. It takes, it takes a community working together, encouraging. and um, I love the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Um, no turning back, no turning back. I love some of the words in it, you, you know it. Um, the world behind me, cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. Um, ultimately, we're faithful unto death because there was one who was faithful unto death on our behalf. Jesus Christ himself, who in the garden didn't hesitate. He said, not my will but yours be done. And he was faithful to the Father unto death on our behalf, giving us the strength, giving us the example. Let me pray.
Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you ultimately for being faithful unto death and, and carrying the cross we deserve, taking the punishment we deserved. Oh, we cannot wait to be with you, Lord. Come, we, we, we long for you to return. But between now and, and, and glory, Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on the prize. Uh, to moments when we attempted to turn back, that we would remain faithful. We would, we would seek the eternal kingdom more than anything else. Lord, would you be our satisfaction and our salvation. Pray this in your name. Amen.